Where did we come from? What are we? Where are we going? The answers, my friend, in the wind they are blowing. Is the mind of God even worth knowing? What's the meaning of life? That's what this show will be showing. Is life just a dream? Is anything certain? Is the world just a stage? If so, where's the curtain? Is the queen really a lizard or is David I bonkers? If a serial killer kills another serial killer, does it work like conkers? If a tree falls in a forest and no one is around, can it be asked to make a tree falling sound? And when nobody's there and it's ever so dark, does a tree think it's funny to just say bar? Are we victims of fate or is it free will? Is there a bigger trial on earth than AA gear? Is the cannibalistic Eucharist the spookiest sacrament? Does a suicidal be self-indulgent with ennui? Recite a sad soliloquy. To be a bee or not to be a bee? History of time by Stephen Hawking, a fish team by Richard Dawkins. What makes this computer do the talking? Give us a time or two. What's the meaning of it all? What's the meaning of asking? Don't get a logical positivist on me unless you want an ass kicking. Cause I just wanna know What's the meaning of life? What's the meaning of life? What's the meaning of life? It's no big deal It's just the meaning of life It's Richard Herring's Meaning of Life, and please welcome the World Wide Web's village idiot savant. It's Richard Herring! Hello! Thank you very much. Hello, and welcome to episode four of Richard Herring's Meaning of Life, or as all the cool and trendy people have started to call it, Rahamol. Oh, good. It's like not very many of them in, the cool and trendy people today. Should have warned them about that. It's like a TV show, but it's on the internet. But if you watch it on the telly, then you won't be able to tell the difference. I just want to be on the telly. That's all, that's all I want. Uh, we're, trying to, uh, we're trying to answer all of the big philosophical questions, like how soon is now? Well, Morrissey, I'm afraid now has already been and gone. Uh, what you understand as now actually happened around about 100 milliseconds ago, but it's taken that long for your brain to process the information in a way that you can make sense of. I, I mean, not just you, Morrissey, that's everyone. I'm not, I'm not saying Morrissey's particularly slow. Uh, this month, we will be looking at death. That's right, we are visiting that undiscovered country from whose born no traveller returns, apart from Jesus and that bloke with the canoe. Death. Death is one of the few universal experiences for every human being. Ant, ant, tree, a carpy, amoeba and childhood dream. Uh, and yet it's one that's shrouded in euphemism, mystery and terrified awe. Why don't we talk about the universal subjects, sex, bodily functions and death? They're all veiled references to them. In death it's kick the bucket, push up the daisies, uh, assume room temperature... Uh, being worm food, uh, he's joined the choir inaudible and also inaudible and made up. Uh, he's, 
He's bought a one-way ticket to Stisfield. Just say he's dead. Why, why do we have this uh, version to saying the truth? Among those who've proven no match for death's icy finger are Perkin Warbeck, the pretender to the throne of Henry II, uh, newsreader Kenneth Kendall, and English archivist and antiquarian William John Hardy. There's no point in listing them to I was going to try and list everyone, but there's uh, apparently over 100 billion people have died so far. So if I try to list them all, it'll probably take over five minutes. So I don't know. The uh, Tibetan Book of the Dead uh, isn't, as you might imagine, a telephone directory-like list of all the people who have ever died in Tibet, but is, disappointingly, a funerary text intended to guide people from this world to the afterlife. Boring! That is false advertising. Get, get to work on the death list of all the Tibetan people. That is all we're interested in seeing. Uh, if all the people who'd ever died throughout history were to stand on the Isle of Wight, they would scare away all the tourists. <laughs> Seriously damaging that island's fragile economy. Uh, Individual deaths are rarely the cause of laughter or a concerted attempt to get a novelty song about uh, dead witches into the pop charts, but uh, occasionally there is grim humour in the demise of a person or persons where their own hubris, stupidity or sheer bad luck will make us chortle before then feeling slightly ashamed. Here are a few uh, amusing deaths. In 210 BC, the first emperor of China, Qin Shi Huang, was obsessed with the quest for immortality. He took several mercury pills in the belief that by doing so he would live forever. He didn't live forever. Uh, he, He died almost immediately, but... For the remaining seconds of his life, he was able to tell you the exact temperature. So it did work out pretty well. Uh, it is, uh, is, is it possible to die laughing? Something that's unlikely to happen uh, during this show. You'll be glad to hear. But, uh, but just in case you're worried, just fast forward through this next bit because you're about to hear a joke that can kill you. Uh, in 206 BC, uh, Greek philosopher Chrysippus... Chrysippus? Chrysippus? I don't know he's... Chrysippus? No, I thought you were going to climb... I think you'll find it's Chrysippus. Uh, Greek philosopher Chrysippus of Soli was watching a donkey eat some uh, figs uh, and cried out, now give the donkey a drink of pure wine to wash down the figs, whereupon he died in a fit of laughter. <laughs> no, it seems to have gone down quite well tonight. Maybe, I, maybe you had to be there, I don't know. He's, uh, to be honest, I've never seen a man uh, who looks less like he liked to laugh than that guy. You know? <laughs> Why is this suddenly amusing, the idea of donkey drinking? It looks like Davros in that picture, which is quite... Uh, in 2005, uh, Kenneth Pinion from Seattle died of acute peritonitis after receiving anal intercourse from a stallion. Uh, the case led to the criminalisation of bestiality in Washington State. The most remarkable thing about that is bestiality was legal in Washington State before that. It's always somebody who takes things too far who has to ruin it for everyone else. <laughs> Richard we, uh, we get upset uh, when uh, someone dies, uh, but I don't understand why we do get, oh, boo-hoo, my best friend's died, how terrible for me. It's much worse for them, though, isn't it, if you think about it? Not just because they're dead. If you think about it, in the moment of your own death, unless you believe in the afterlife, in which case, grow up. <laughs> in that instant, from your perspective, the entire universe is about to be obliterated. Every single thing in it that you love... You're losing all of them. You have to mourn every person you loved. Everyone else just has to mourn you. But in that second, you're getting rid of every... If, if it's any consolation, you're also getting rid of all the people you ever hated. They're, they get obliterated too. Uh, it's, it's kind of glass half full, glass half empty. 
scenario. The universe is destroyed a billion times a day as another living thing dies from its own perspective. I don't think why we don't we shouldn't be upset about it. We're just going to return to the way we were before we were born. You know, if we if there is no afterlife, if we just go back to nothing, that's how you spent the first 13.8 billion years of the universe's existence. You seem perfectly happy with that. Uh, what's What's wrong with going back to uh, that? But uh, uh, what happens to us when we die? And nobody knows what happens to us when we die. I don't know what happens to us when we die. Nobody does. Because nobody has died and then come back alive again. So if anyone tells you they know what happens to you when you die, they're either guessing or they are lying. And I'm not saying it's not a reassuring lie. It's nice. It makes death slightly less frightening. It makes life a bit more palatable to sugarcoat everything a little bit. If, If that's how you need to live your life. I knew a woman once, she said to me, I don't like the idea that we just cease to exist. That is too horrible. So I don't believe that that's what happens. <laughs> it's a nice way to live your life, isn't it? That's a nice bubble to live inside. That's fantastic. I don't like the fact there's gentle mutilation in Africa. So there isn't. It's good, isn't it? It's good how it, good how it works. I don't like the fact that Paddy McGuinness has a viable career as a broadcaster. And I don't. So he doesn't, and I do. I'm on ITV1 right now. I'm not making my own TV show for the fucking internet. <laughs> 25 years I've been doing this. When I was at, when I was at university, uh, a friend of mine had a lovely idea what happens to you when you die. He said, Richard, what I believe will happen to you when you die is whatever you believe is going to happen to you when you die, that is what happens to you when you die. That's nice, isn't it? So if you're a Christian, you'll go to Christian heaven, but Muslims will go to Muslim heaven. Whatever you believe... That is what will happen. That is the system. Sounds like an organisational nightmare for God, though, right? He's he's up there having to knock up new afterlifes every five minutes based on the whim of lunatics. He's he's in this ever-expanding heavenly theme park. He's a mixture between Willy Wonka and Jim will fix it. The worst aspects of both of those characters, but I... I hope that guy's right, I seriously do, because what I sincerely believe is going to happen to me when I die is I'll be sent to a gigantic palace made of gold and I'll spend the rest of eternity bumming God. That's, <laughs> that's what I believe, so that is what has got to happen. God's going, oh, me, no. Why didn't I see this loophole? I was, I was trying to be nice. Someone had to take advantage of the system. I've been hoist with my own petard. I've, I've made a rod for my own back. I believe in turn that God is bumming the guy who said that whatever you believe is going to happen to you when you die, that's what's going to happen. He, he's being bummed by God for all eternity. He's going, no, what? Why is this happening? This isn't what I believe would happen to me when I died. No, mate, it's what I believe would happen, though. The problem with your system is that two openly contradictory things can't exist simultaneously. God has to choose... Which one he prefers, I suppose. I suppose God preferred this uh, human centipede deity bumming sandwich. Uh, he thought that was better than whatever you came up with. It's, uh, it's better, that's a shame. So I, I don't like the way uh, we, res- we respond to that because we don't know, we don't talk about this subject enough. I think we have to talk about it more. It's going to happen to us all. And so we don't know how to respond when someone dies. And it seems to me, uh, in the etiquette of death, that the way the things that are acceptable to do when someone dies and the things that are unacceptable seem to be interchangeable, just random. You just accept it because that's what the society says. But the, the one that gets me is when a young man dies, he hasn't got married, uh, he hasn't had any children. People will often say, uh, even to his parents, as if this is reassuring, well, at least he didn't have kids. Hey, let's, let's look on the bright side. At least he didn't have kids. Let's take some comfort from the fact that at least he didn't have kids. What? 
What an awful thing to say. You, you could argue our whole purpose here on life is to reproduce. That's our genetic imperative to pass on our DNA to the next generation. If you die childless, you are a full stop at the end of a sentence of continuous successful shagging that goes right back to the first amoeba. Every single one of your ancestors has managed it. For three billion years, you've let them down. To say at least he didn't have kids, that's, you might as well be saying, well, at least he didn't pass on his DNA. Hey, let's, let's look on the bright side. There'll be no one like him in the future. Let's take some comfort from the fact that his reign of terror is now over, which, which is why I make a point, if I'm ever at the funeral of a friend who's left behind a wife, a couple of young kids, I will approach the widow at the funeral and say it's very sad what's happened, but at least he had kids. Hey, let's, let's look on the bright side. At least he had kids. Let's take some comfort from the fact, what, at least... At least he had kids. It's a good thing he's passed on his DNA. He's said, what's wrong with you fucking hell? I was trying to cheer you up. Fuck. But, uh, I find the way that social media responds to death and disaster has become mainly bewildering. Uh, if a celebrity dies, it now feels that everyone has to write a post about it, even if they have nothing original to say. It's like we've all become prime minister of our own little country and the world would be shocked and appalled if we didn't make some kind of statement. Uh, the one that particularly galls me is when a famous person dies and people will head straight to Facebook or Twitter to write, I have no words. Firstly, they don't seem to understand that I have no and words are all words, and thus they clearly do have four words. But secondly, if you actually have no words, that's not a problem. You, you don't have to say anything. Maybe take some time, have a think, and wait until you do have some words, and then make a comment. No one's waiting for your eulogy, it's, especially when we're all equally sad and shocked by what's happening. Maybe we only post if you've got something unbelievable or surprising to say. Like, yeah, I thought Nelson Mandela was a bit of a twat, to be honest. I don't know what all the fuss is about. That would be interesting. But otherwise, oh, he's an amazing statesman. Yeah. I know, I've read the newspapers. I have no words, reads to me. Like, I feel I should say something about this, but I can't be bothered to work out what it might be. Silence can be respectful. In many ways, not saying anything is the most respectful thing. You're on social media. No one is expecting you to comment immediately, if at all. No one minds if you don't say a thing. But if you want to comment and are going to say something cliched and trite, it might as well be shit. That's really, really sad. Those are perfectly good words, words that you have and you know you have because if you're really that upset about something, then your first thought is never, blimey, I really must let social media know how speechless I am about this. It's gone crazy with Facebook and Wikipedia. If you look at... If you look when someone, a celebrity dies, when you hear the news that a celebrity's died, you go to their Wikipedia page, someone will have already updated their death date on that. That's like someone is sitting... Someone like Ghoul is sitting... Uh, I'm waiting for the news, going, well, they're dead, let's get the Wikipedia date up. Must, must make sure, no, it's like, that's how, if you look, you always find that's true. But I think I'm a bit of a ghoul as well, because if, if someone dies, even if they're not famous, if I find out someone's dead, someone I know or someone I don't know, I'll go to their Facebook and Twitter feed to see what the last thing they said was. I bet you do this as well, because it's, it's part of you think maybe in the last moment they had some epiphany, they understood what life was about, but no, it's still the boring crap they were posting all the time, but it's like there's something about death that, um, that draws you uh, to it. And last year, my grandma uh, died. It was, uh, she was 102 years old, so she'd had a good knock. It was uh, 
it was sad, but uh, it was uh, she had Alzheimer's disease. In a way, it was a sort of relief uh, that uh, she, uh, it was over. I think you celebrate someone's life at that stage. Uh, but of course, because she was 102, everyone from her generation had predeceased her. There was no one in the crematorium. The prize for living the longest is that nobody comes to your funeral, which seemed unfair because she was such a popular person in real life. But it was doubly weird for me, but because. A few weeks before she died, my parents had been discussing the funeral arrangements and um, they'd been saying how expensive everything was going to be. They said, oh, even the coffin is, the cheapest coffin is £375. And I thought, look, I love my grandma, you know, I'd, I'd like to contribute. Can, I said, can I at least pay for the coffin? That would be a nice thing for me to do. But then on the day of the funeral, we were driving behind the hearse on the way to the crematorium. It was weird, I was looking at that coffin, thinking, God, no, that's my grandma's inside that coffin that I've bought. That's her last resting place. That's kind of slightly weird and, and mind-blowing. And there was a part of me thinking, you know, what happens to the coffin after my grandma's been cremated? Because, well, technically, that is my coffin. That is, I've, I've paid, that's 375 quid, that cost. So do I get that? Could I have that back, take that home? They went, oh, no, 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 the coffin gets burnt up with the body. Why does it get burnt up with the body? That's a perfectly br- good, brand new, 375 quid coffin. Why you don't have to burn that? You're just burning that up, so you have to sell another 375 quid coffin to someone else. They no, we have to. It's the law. It's not the law, is it? You don't have to do that. I could hire that out to other similarly-sized dead old ladies. They were... They were... They'd, they'd, that'd be all right. They would, they'd, I'd charge them 50 quid. They would, they'd be delighted. They'd save 325 quid. I'd only have to do eight of them. I'd be in profit. I mean, that's the, I wouldn't be doing it for that, you know, but that's, that'd be a nice extra bonus. They go, no, no, the, we can't do this health and safety. I say, it's not health and safety, mate. They're dead. And that doesn't, doesn't matter. It's just, it's a con. I said, well, all right, if you're going to burn the coffin, you can unscrew those metal handles. I'll take those. Those are mine. You're not going to burn those, are you? And they said, no, actually, they're made of plastic. They burn up in the thing as well. That's, it's a complete con. When I got to the crematorium, I was going, look, mate, can you just tip, just tip her in? Just tip it. I'll take my coffee and home. They looked at me like I was wrecking the funeral. <laughs> it's interesting that, though, because uh, last year I went on holiday to the Amalfi Coast in, um, in southern Italy, where I learned that if life gives you lemons, what you do is make an unpleasant-tasting, super-sweet liqueur out of it. <laughs> Uh, than which you then sell to unsuspecting and gullible tourists who won't realise that when they get it home it will taste of nothing but lost happiness. But uh, uh, I was very excited to go there because I wanted to go back to see two of my favourite places in the world, Pompeii and Herculaneum. These Roman cities destroyed by a volcano, ironically preserved by them as well. It's a terrible tragedy, but thousands of years on, it's kind of an amazing thing to see. And some of those people were preserved. In Pompeii, everything evaporated, basically, as the volcano hit. So there are gaps in the ash. If you fill those with plaster of Paris, you can find out what was in there. And some, sometimes there are statues where, like, people come out of this in their last moments. I saw an exhibition in the British Museum last year. They, they were right at the end of the exhibition. I hadn't seen them really so close up before. It was very moving, uh, people in their last moments. I mean, it's, it's a little bit intrusive and odd, but there's something amazing about it as well. There's a family all huddled together, protecting each other in the might of this volcano in the face of that there was like people like holding up their hands as if somehow they could prevent their own deaths then right at the end there was a really the worst one of it was much bigger than all of the others just this forlorn figure just looking down hopeless at the floor then that one moved that was an american tourist who just got a bit tired uh, this, 
But I went to Herculaneum. The best thing that happened on the holiday was on the way back from Herculaneum. I was on the train, uh, and I was tra- treated to the most unforgettable thing I've ever seen, certainly in that fortnight. It'll be the first thing to pop into my mind whenever I think of this holiday. I glanced idly out the window as the locomotive pulled out of some tiny provincial station to see a white-haired man being enthusiastically fellated by a brown-haired lady right at the side of the railway track. So they... <laughs> It was just in full view of everything. They'd had the consideration to hide themselves from the people in the town, but they were in full view of all the trains going past. It was so flagrant I had to laugh, but I was also impressed. It was 3.30 in the afternoon. It was really broad daylight. It was boiling hot. Most old men would have been having a siesta. I was, I was too knackered to even read my book properly. With this silver fox, all, yeah, I'm feeling a bit horny. I'll pop down the railroad siding, see if I can get me... <laughs> some oral sex. He was considerate enough to have his back uh, to the tracks. He might be an exhibitionist, but there's no need to show off. Uh, I only saw this for an instant. There is a chance that the young woman was considerately helping this man loosen his belt uh, because he was in pain or something. But if, if she was doing that, she was doing it incredibly vigorously, and I would say using the wrong part of her anatomy. <laughs> It's dangerous to make assumptions, and it's possible these two people were just deeply in love in a May to December relationship and overthrow, unable to control themselves in throes of passion. I think it's pretty likely, though, that a financial transaction had taken place to create this charming tableau. I mean, it, I, I, if that was happening in Leicester Square on St. Patrick's Day, which it probably will be as you walk out... <laughs> I would be disgusted by that but because it was in Italy for some reason it felt life charming and life affirming when you think about it these people live in the shadow of Vesuvius a volcano that once laid waste to the whole region which could do again at any second they're seizing the day that's not all that one of them was seizing and they're squeezing every drop of pleasure out of life while they're still here to enjoy it. And maybe they could appease the volcano gods by doing this. If you can fight fire with fire, who's to say you can't fight eruptions with loads of tiny eruptions? It's worth a try, I would say, anyway. Does anything symbolise Italy more than an old man getting an alfresco blowy in a railway siding? Damn the consequences. They should put that on the Italian flag, isn't it? Just in the corner, I think. But uh, I can't really explain why, but it filled me with hope and a love of life uh, when, when it should have left me cold and empty and wishing for death. It, it made me happier to witness this than it would have been to participate in it, especially if I'd been the one on my knees. But uh, my enjoyment was spiritual rather than prurient. Uh, our time here is short and might be snatched away from us at any second. Let's make the most of every opportunity, whatever our age. The best thing about it was, though, if Vesuvius had chosen that moment to blow its top, that would have left one hell of a statue for future archaeologists to find. Is it possible uh, to be cursed? Is, is death something that can be wished upon us? I, people have wished death on me. I mean, I know it's hard to believe. I, uh, I did a show a few years ago called Christ on a Bike, and um, I got a lot of death threats from religious people, who, from Christians, that you might think were above that kind of thing. When I did Christ on a Bike, I got a letter from a woman called Angela Wilson, uh, and it, it said that death is certain, uh, but... Uh, but the Bible speaks about untimely death. Uh, they all quote, quote the same bit in, uh, in these letters. I don't know if there's like a template complaint letter at the back of the Bible, but uh, it says it's written in the Bible, Galatians 6-7. That's not in the Bible, that's a video game. You can't, you can't quote 1980s video games. I think that gives you any moral authority. It says, be not deceived, God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man sow, that shall he also reap. Uh, if I reap what I sow, doesn't that mean when I die, God is just going to really take the piss out of me? Maybe, maybe in a show called Richard Herring's Meaning of Death, or uh, 
or Richard Herring on a unicycle. I wouldn't mind. I'd be flattered that if God took the piss out of me. That if I can take a joke, then surely God can take a joke as well. Is he, is he just sensitive and insecure? Uh, Angela Wilson sent me a list of some of the people who mock God and the terrible things that have happened to them as a direct result of that. Now, there's been 2,000 years of just the Christian God. You'd think a lot of people in that time would have said some awful things. This list is going to be a long list. And just by coincidence, a few of them would have just happened to have died the minute they'd said that. So though we feel who've said awful things have just died, struck down straight away. Let's see who she has come up with. The first one on her list is John Lennon. John Lennon. Uh, then in brackets, it says singer. Uh, so I'm glad... I was glad that was there, because I wasn't quite sure she meant until that. Oh, that, oh, the singer John Lennon. All right, so I didn't realise that's what you meant. You know what he said. Uh, he said, uh, basically, Christianity will end, it will disappear. Jesus was OK, but his subjects were too simple. <laughs> quite rude. Uh, today, we are more famous than him. Uh, but um, says Lennon, uh, after saying that the Beatles were more famous than Jesus Christ, was shot six times. Fourteen years later... After he had apologised. That, that, that's no good, is it? It has to happen straight away or not at all. It, I mean, that isn't even mocking God. And, but God can't wait 14 years to exact his revenge. If he'd leant down from heaven and shot John Lennon as soon as he'd said that, I'd be more scared. It, it, it can't be at any point. You know, because I've mocked God, at some point in the next 50 or 60 years, I might die. Because of these shows, I am no longer immortal. Uh, let's see who comes up next. Uh, the next one is uh, Tancredo Nevis. Uh, the next one's Tancredo Nevis. Then in brackets it says, President of Brazil. And you're glad the brackets were there this time, aren't you? Because you didn't know who he was. You're all laughy-laughy when it was one you knew, wasn't it? But now, now you've shut up, you hypocrites. Tancredo Nevis, who everyone knows, is the President of Brazil. Uh, this is what the letter says. Uh, during the presidential campaign, he said if he got 500,000 votes from his party, not even God could remove him from the presidency. Is that the best mockery of God they managed to find from 2,000 years? That's not very good. Uh, sure, he got the votes, uh, but he got sick a day before being made president. Then he died. Bit more immediate for Tancredo Nevis, wasn't it? It was 14 years for John Lennon. Tancredo Nevis fast-tracked within a month. What did Tancredo Nevis say about me? He said you couldn't remove him from office, God. Did he say that about me? I can remove him from office, I'm God. Yeah, but wasn't it just really political invective? He didn't... It doesn't matter. I hate Tancredo Nevis. I don't know why I created him. Kill Tancredo Nevis, more or less immediately. What about John Lennon? He's still alive. Do you remember he, he said he was bigger than Jesus? Forget about John Lennon. Put him to the back of the queue. Kill Tancredo Nevis. Saying I can't remove him from office is much worse than whatever it was John Lennon said. I can't remember what it was. Do you want to worship a God who would do that? Kill someone for saying something as pathetic as that? Surely a better punishment for someone who wanted 500,000 votes would be to have given Tancredo Nevis 499,999 votes and then as he was walking out of the, of, the, of the conference he could have slipped up in some dog shit. That, that would have... That would seem a more appropriate response for his arrogance to kill him. I mean, fuck. Do you want to worship this madman? Uh, the next one uh, is Kazuzu. Uh, he is a Brazilian composer, singer and poet. I'm thinking this email might have originated in Brazil. It's just, it's just a guess. During a show in Cañesho, which is in Rio de Janeiro, while smoking his cigarette, Kazuzu puffed out some smoke and said, God, that's for you. That isn't even mocking God. That's giving God some of your cigarette. That, at worst, that is passive smoking. That is not. <laughs> because of that, Kazuzu died at the age of 32 of lung cancer in a horrible manner. 
What the hell is going on with God? That's a massive overreaction. Is anyone thinking God's got a bit thin-skinned about this? What did Kazuzu say about me? Nothing. He didn't say anything, God. He was just offering you some of his cigarette. He was mocking me. I didn't hear it all, but I heard my name mentioned. Kill Kazuzu in a horrible manner. Is, is Tancredo Nevis still alive? Yes, he is. Well, kill Tancredo Nevis, obviously, first. Then kill Kazuzu. How dare Kazuzu send some smoke up to heaven? If anyone from now on sends smoke up to heaven, I will kill them. Oh, I'm going to have to kill all of the Roman Catholics now. Never mind, kill them anyway. There's child killers walking around. Nothing happens to them. Kazuzu is killed for blood. God is a prick, that's what I'm saying. The fourth one, the man who built the Titanic. <laughs> Couldn't be bothered to Google that, find out what his name was. I mean, I put a lot of work in the first three. I had to Google John Lennon, find out what he did. Turns out he was a singer. I got, I got all the others. No one will have read this far. They'll already be convinced by the first three brilliant examples. Uh, the man who built the Titanic. Uh, after the construction of the Titanic, a reporter asked how safe the Titanic would be with an ironic tone. <laughs> Almost like he knew something was going to happen. Otherwise, why would it be ironic? <laughs> Not even God could sink it. That's... Uh, the result is that I think we all know what happened to the Titanic. In that case, someone hasn't mocked God. They've mentioned him in a sentence. And what has God has done to punish him is sink a ship with thousands of other people in it, killing hundreds of them, not including the bloke who said that, who escaped in a life raft. So, so the new rule is don't mock God or travel in any transport designed by someone who has mocked God. That is the new rule. Next time you get in the bus... Do ask, excuse me, do you know, do you happen to know if the bloke who designed this bus ever mocked God or just mentioned him or sent him any gifts in smoke or vapour form of any kind? That one isn't even true. That's completely apocryphal. That, ne that clearly never happened. He wouldn't have said with an ironic tone. That's clearly written afterwards. Uh, there's a couple more. By the sixth one, they've started to make things up. That isn't fair. Uh, this might be true. You can tell it's true by the way that no one in it has a name and all the things that happen it couldn't have possibly ever happened. So that is, that's how you... Apart from that, it's definitely true. Here it is. Uh, in Campanas. In Campanas, Brazil... Uh, why didn't God just destroy Brazil? Wouldn't that just... That would <laughs> save a lot of time. A group of friends drunk went to pick up a friend. The mother accompanied uh, to the car and was so worried about the drunkenness of her friends. What do you think she did, the mother? I mean, she's worried about the drunkenness of her friends. If you were a mum, what would you probably... You'd probably say, uh, don't get in that car with the drunk... I'm worried about the drunkenness of your friends. That's probably what the mother... That's probably what the mother did. Let's have a look and see. Oh, no, she said to her daughter, holding her hand, who was already seated in the car, my daughter, go with God and may he protect you. Uh, I think if anyone deserves to die in this entire email, it's the mother who lets her daughter get into a car with a drunk driver and then just casts a magic spell over her to protect her. The daughter responded, only if he, God, travels in the trunk, because inside here, it's already full. Slam! Yeah! She's taken God down there, hasn't she? She's mocked him good and proper with her basic statements of fact based on volume and geometry. God must be furious. He's, I mean, he is omnipresent, so technically he is in the trunk. But don't let that bother you. He's furious. What did that girl say about me? I couldn't quite hear it all because I was in the trunk. What, what did she say? She, how dare, she said you were in the trunk. How dare she say that about me? This is the worst mockery of me. Of the six mockeries of me there have been in history, this is by far the worst. This is worse than what Tancredo Nevis said about me. I, 
I'm going to kill this girl. Not immediately, because that would give evidential correlation that I'm definitely responsible. I'm going to leave her a couple of hours. And then I'm going to kill her. How dare she say I am in the trunk? But God, you are in the trunk. Are you mocking me as well, you bird? You know what happened to the bloke who built the Titanic? Well, nothing happened to him. And he, he didn't actually say anything. You mock me. Hours later... Uh, only hours, uh, came the news by that they had been involved in a fatal accident. Everyone had died. Even the people who said nothing about God being in the trunk, they were, they were dead as well. Collateral damage. Don't mock God. Mention God. Uh, travel in any transport designed by somebody who's mocked God. Send any smoke to God or travel in a car with anyone else who's recently ever mocked God. Uh, the, car, the car could not be recognised what kind of car it had been. I didn't write this. Uh, the, uh, the car could not be recognised what type of car it had been. The car could not be recognised what type of car it had been. Yeah, sorry, I just wrong inflection. Uh, if you're going to send out an email trying to convince people to believe in God, do make sure it reads like it's been written by a three-year-old child writing in a language that they've never heard before. The car could not be recognised what type of car it had been. That's it. That's the, that's the correct inflection. But, but surprisingly, the trunk was intact. <laughs> Surprise! No, no, wait, hold on a minute. That, wait, so that means... Doesn't that mean that God was in the trunk? That's, so the girl had stated a fact. God hates facts more than anything else. Maybe he thought they were playing hide-and-seek. She got me straight away. How did she do that? Oh, that's a problem with being omnipresent. Uh, so that's a petulant God. He killed a teenager for saying he was in the trunk when he was in the trunk. The trunk was intact. Um, the... Uh, the police said there was no way the trunk could have remained intact. The police said that. That's what the police said. There was no way the trunk could have remained intact. Do you remember from earlier? The trunk was intact. Do you remember? Do you remember that? That's what makes it scary. The police said there was no way the trunk could be intact. But the trunk was intact. There was no way it could be. But it was the police said that. They put, said, put this in the report. There's no way the trunk could be intact. Well, I will put that in the report, Sergeant, if you want. But the, the problem I have with writing that in our official report, I'm looking at the trunk right now, and the one thing I notice about the trunk, the remarkable thing about it, I would say, is the trunk is intact. I know it's intact, but there's no way it can be intact. That's what makes it incredible. Write that down. There's no way the trunk can rain into... I will write that down if you... You are my superior officer, but my problem with writing that down is that there's no way the trunk can be intact when the trunk is intact, is that that suggests to me there must be one way that the trunk can have remained intact, because it is intact. Right in the report, there is no way... I will, but what if this report ends up in an email that gets circulated around the world? Everyone's going to think the Brazilian police force are idiots. Are you mocking me? Don't mock me! Right in the report, no way. Have you written the car could not be recognised what type of car it had been? Is that in there? I, well, I haven't put that in yet. Well, write that in, word for word. The car could not be recognised what type of car it had been. My problem with writing down that the car could not be recognised what type of car it had been, I mean, apart from the grammar of that, but, but the trunk is intact, but there's no way it can be intact. Is there, isn't the trunk of the car the only place on a car where the name and logo of the car are clearly displayed? <laughs> so if the trunk is intact, why don't we just go round the car and look at the trunk, see what kind of car it is, then at least that mystery will be solved. Of the, what, put in the report, 
I happen to know with this type of car, whatever type of car it is, that if there's an accident, there's no way the trunk can remain intact. To their surprise, you'd think they'd have been surprised about the trunk being intact when there's no way the trunk could have been intact. That's, that would have surprised me, the breakdown of basic physics. That would have astonished me. Brazilian police weren't surprised by that bit at all. That happens every week in Brazil. There's a car accident. There's no way the trunk could be intact, but it is intact. They're expecting it. The call comes through. I've got to go out. It's been a terrible accident. The car can't be recognised. I'm going to make a prediction, though. I think the trunk will be intact, but there's no way it can be intact. I'll bet you... 100 units of Brazilian currency. <laughs> I'll take that bet. If there's no way that the trunk is intact, then it can't be intact. I won't be surprised. I'll be bored if that happens. To their surprise, inside the trunk was God. Hello, it's me. I do exist. It's a bit of a weird time to finally admit that I am here with all these bodies of all these teenagers around me I've needlessly murdered, but... Here I am. Don't look at that. Look at me. I'm real. I'm, that's the story. I am real. That, that wasn't it. I made that bit up. To their surprise, inside the trunk was a crate of eggs. <laughs> Don't know why that surprised them, do you? That's because when, when you go out drink driving, uh, David, uh, what's the first thing? What's the, when you're going out, before you've done any drinking, any driving, what's the first thing you put in the trunk of your car? Eggs, it is eggs, that's a, not just a punnet of eggs either, that wouldn't be hundreds of eggs, more eggs than one human being could eat in a lifetime because you never know when you go out drink driving when you'll need a massive quantity of eggs. You might maybe want, maybe want a gigantic omelette or a cake or something. Do you, do you think you should be, do you think we should be driving around with these eggs in your car? Shouldn't we leave them at home? No, because I happen to know with this type of car, not many people know this, all the safety features of this car are in the trunk. They don't, they don't mention it in any of the literature because it's not really a good selling point. Most, most people want the safety features in the passenger seat. But the thing is, I always travel around with a massive quantity of eggs, more eggs than one person would realistically ever need. So that trunk was a good selling point for me. If I'm ever in a fatal accident, I want to know as I'm dying that at least my eggs will be safe. Inside the trunk was a crate of eggs. None was broken. It's a true story <laughs> made up by a child. It's not enough the trunk's intact when there's no wheat, nay, it can be intact. We need another detail. Let's say there are eggs in the trunk and they weren't broken. I think what this means is God is an egg. Doesn't it? I think that's what it means. God's Humpty Dumpty, I think that's what it means. I wrote back to Angela Wilson and um, I said, uh, thanks for that, it's brilliant. Out of all of human history, you found six examples of people who've mocked God and then not remained immortal, but... You know, let's look at the people who hung around with Jesus, his best friends, his disciples. Of those 12, 10 of them were either stoned to death or crucified. So if you're friends with Jesus, you've got five out of six chance of dying in an horrific way. If you mock him, what, six in 550 billion? I think, I think I'll take my chances. So uh, to talk about the biochemistry of death, will you please welcome the winner of the Biochemical Award 2015... That's how good he is. <laughs> it's 2014. He's already, it's already ready. Uh, he's the reader in evolutionary biochemistry at UCL. It's Professor Nick Lane, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> Thank you very much. Welcome. Pull up a mic. Make yourself at home. Uh, how have you managed to win... Uh, first of all, let's get this out of the way. How have you... Because you might just be some chancer off the street. <laughs> 
How have you managed to win a, an award from 2015 in 2014? They, uh, they, they, they announced it yesterday or the day oh, before. They? I'm amazed you picked up on that. Well, you know, I'm, my research is very good. <laughs> also, you've put it on your website already, oh, overexcitedly. Yeah. So. <laughs> and who can blame you? I'd be very excited. I've won uh, the British Comedy Award 2015 as well. <laughs> going to be 18 months before anyone finds out the, the, the ghastly truth. Um, so, you're a biochemistry and evolutionary bio, uh, biology, is that right? Yeah, more or less. Uh, biochemistry. Biochemistry. Yeah. Um, why can't we live forever, is my question to you. Oh, right. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, sex. Right. Is the answer. Because if you... Um, get to know me first and then we'll... <laughs> not on the first question. Didn't mean that good. Well, it's the answer of <laughs> evolutionary biologists to every question, anyway. Yeah, okay. Sex is the answer. If you, um, if, if you are immortal, like an elf, yes. for example, <laughs> you know, they, the elves die, yeah. anyway. They, they're immortal unless they get hit by a bus or something. Yeah. Um, so the thing is, if you get hit by a bus before you had sex or before you had kids, um, statistically, you're less likely to have kids if you waited until after you got hit by the bus, <laughs> if you see what I mean. Yeah. So the point is, if you, if you have a statistically relatively short lifespan, if you're going to be eaten by a tiger or, or, or hit, you know, have some accident, um, then it's best if you, if you focus all your biological resources on leaving offspring before you get hit by the bus. Okay. So gear up, I mean, gear up for sex, sexual maturity, uh, that kind of development costs it has costs on longevity and everything else so we we develop very slowly actually because our, do. I our, risk, did. our risk of dying <laughs> <laughs> i think i think my body didn't want me to reproduce and so, so i went yeah we'll let him wait till he's 25 <laughs> we'll see should be dead by then <laughs> yeah and yeah. compared to a chimpanzee yeah <laughs> i mean so, I so we, <laughs> <laughs> we we, uh, we, we, we develop very slowly compared to chimpanzees yeah. or something. Uh, and, and we live a lot longer than they do. And it's really that we, uh, we, we don't have natural predators in the same way. Yeah. Uh, and so we, we, we prolong our lifespan. So it really comes down to that balance between uh, statistical likelihood of living for a long time and leaving kids. So it'd sort of be a choice between you could live forever, but you're never going to have sex. Or, yeah, Which or is less. sort of like a living hell. It's like that's yes. the... It's like someone, I'll give you the gift of eternal life. You go, yes, but you're never allowed to have sex. I forgot to tell you. No, can I, can I have a wank? No. It's not, no. That uh, probably wank. hasn't developed yet. Right. Uh, where was I before I was born? Uh, <laughs> well, this is. Do you go all the way back, as in, as in the sperm of yeah. the... Yes. How, do, how did <laughs> I come to be? That used to be the old biological idea, that, yeah. the, the, that you were inside the sperm of your father who had the little... You know, the, little the homunculus. Mannequin, the homunculus, that's the word I was grasping for, yes. I know so more no, about this than you do. You do. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, you were nowhere. You were you are contrived by the genes of your parents, by mixing the genes of your parents up in a completely random way, so... You didn't exist, that's all. Some part we must have done. Uh, well, some of your genes... I mean, this is, this is where Richard Dawkins was coming from. Yeah. Uh, you don't leave a copy of yourself. That's why he was talking about selfish genes. You leave a random mixture of some of your genes, as does your wife, maybe. Maybe you already have, I don't know. No, I but, haven't yet, no. Ah, uh, well. I've got to get a move on, I'm 46. <laughs> yeah. So, so what, what actually is left down the generations is really just 
genes is, is what, you know, so evolutionary biologists look at uh, the, the, the change in gene frequencies in a population over time. It's a nasty way of seeing it, but it's basically, that's, that's all that continues is individual genes. So we are made up of a random mixture of those genes. So that I sort of was there, but in, I was all mixed up like an anagram of myself. Yes. Yeah, good. I like that. Uh, so, uh, why is uh, death a great invention of evolution, as I believe you've claimed? Uh, well, it is evolution. I mean, survival of the fittest means death of the weakest, really. It sounds a bit like eugenics, but that's how, that's how evolution works. <laughs> so, you know, unless, unless the less fit organisms die preferentially relative to the more fit organisms, then evolution cannot happen. It won't work. So everything around us is the result of death. Yes. And if, there, if nobody died or nothing died, we'd all still be amoebas, presumably, because there would nothing... Oh, we, well, even amoebas are highly bacterias. evolved. <laughs> yeah, because well, actually, you are, your books are about uh, mitochondria and uh, bacteria, so it goes back that far. So well, the... that's where all the really interesting stuff is, yeah. actually. So that's... <laughs> That's the start of life is, is bacteria, basically. Is that right? Yes, pretty much, yeah. but uh, an awful long time ago. I mean, four billion years ago. So the first three billion years or so of life on Earth was just bacteria and hardly anything else. Right. Um, and, and really, you know, large organisms arose about half a billion years ago, so it's just the last, the last little bit. <laughs> what... well, everything that was important happened in the first three billion years. <laughs> <laughs> what led to... Um organisms becoming more complex why how did this these bacteria uh, probably wise not to ask me that yeah, question I'm, like... writing, I'm writing a book on that at the moment <laughs> and i realize it's a bit too long <laughs> let's let's but, just tell us how it's going yeah. tell uh, us the gist of it <laughs> <laughs> give us the main story don't don't leave okay. a bit well it's actually it's very it's very strange um because all complex life on earth uh shares a common ancestor so we have a common ancestor with trees and with fungus and you know, mushrooms and things. If you look at the cells down a microscope, they're shockingly similar. You'll probably not be able to tell the difference unless you're familiar. They, they, they're large. They've got all kinds of things inside. The DNA is in a nucleus. You know, they look almost identical. You would have thought that, um, that some, some kind of bacteria that went around eating other cells. There actually there aren't any, but you, you would have thought there would be some and that they and they would develop into animals. And you might think that photosynthetic bacteria, cyanobacteria, they would develop into plants. And another type of bacteria that, that puts out enzymes and breaks its food down would turn into fungi and so on. You would you would expect that all these different things would arise completely independently. But they didn't. They all came from this common ancestor and that arose just once. And it seems to have been a freak accident. So we have this two and a half, three billion years of evolution, just bacteria, which is what you'd probably find on any planet anywhere else in the universe. The likelihood is it's, there'll be bacteria out there. Um, maybe it's not so hard to evolve bacteria, but to, to get complex life, it was, a, it was a bit of a freak accident here. And it seems to be that one cell got inside another cell. It was really, I mean, it's kind of sex again, really. It? <laughs> but it, it's... Um, if you get right inside, you're doing it wrong, though. I think if you're actually... <laughs> no, you have to get right inside. Absolutely enveloped in the other person. You've gone too far. <laughs> Back out a little bit. <laughs> it only works if you get completely enveloped. <laughs> okay. uh, thank you very much. Uh, Professor Nick Lane. Future award winner. So that's the end of the show. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you uh, made the most of your precious gift of life because, you know, you, we're only here for a very limited time. There's a bit in Anglo-Saxon poetry talking about our life being like a, 
a bird flying through a mead hall that, that get the darkness and then into light and then your darkness again, which I think is uh, probably very apt. So we're in the light now. We are alive. We are all going to die, but we're all alive now. So let's make the most of this life. Make sure you fill your life at least doing some of the things you like to do, because I fear the only thing that Hamlet was right about is the rest is silence. Uh, hope you enjoyed it. Thanks very much. Tune in again next time. Bye. <laughs> How do you like them sky potatoes? <laughs>